today's message, as we continue through our brand new sermon series that we just kicked off last week, going through the book of Revelation, if today's message is for everybody who says, I am a follower of Jesus. You could be six years old. You could be 96 years old. You could have been walking with Jesus for 50 plus years or walking with Jesus since yesterday or today even. Today's message is very crucial to look at, um, seeing it as for everybody. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the role of the church. We're going to talk from the book of Revelation here. We're going to talk about the role from the church. And so before I dive into today's text, just want a, a quick little reminder of a couple of the points that we talked about last week. We started this sermon series. I want to just read here a couple of verses from Revelation 21. I want to read verse 12. Uh, sorry, Revelation 1, not 21. Re- Revelation chapter 1. I want to read from verse 12 here, where John the Apostle hears the voice of Jesus. He's receiving this vision, and Jesus tells him that I want you to write this stuff down, and you're going to send it to the seven churches. These are actual physical places. They existed. They were real churches in real cities. And so John writes this in verse 12. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. And so this is just this important reminder that as we read, as we study the book of Revelation, right from the beginning, the image that is given to John here is of these lampstands. And we saw last week that lampstands mean the church, that Jesus is at the center and is among his church. You see, the church can get very, 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 very busy doing good things in the world. But then there's nothing wrong with that until Jesus is no longer the center or among the church. So this is an important thing to remember here, that Jesus is completely, totally among the churches. The other thing, just as a quick reminder, as we study Revelation, and this one is so crucial. Jesus says these words in chapter 1, verse 19. He tells this to John. He says, write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Again, this is crucial. As we study Revelation, as we learn from it, we have to understand that Jesus himself says these words. You're going to see some things that are for right now. What the church is dealing with right now, 2,000 years ago, and some things that are later. And that's the way we approach every other letter in the New Testament. We realize it was written for a church context in that day when it was originally written 2,000 years ago. But yet we know that God's words are timeless and he still speaks to the church even today. So Jesus gives us this warning as we study this. So we can't go down these crazy rabbit trails and think it's all just future stuff. It's all just apocalypse stuff. There's stuff happening there and now. That Jesus wants to address. And so what we do then is we jump into Revelations chapter 2. And I'm going to just summarize some of the things that Jesus talks about in Revelations chapter 2. What he does is he tells John what he is seeing in the life of the church. 
He highlights a number of the good things that the church is doing, but he also highlights a whole lot of areas where the church in his day was struggling. And so for the, he writes to seven different churches. I'm going to summarize the first six. Okay, but you can read this on your own this week, but this is a summary of what Jesus says is happening in the church of John's day. We learn that Christians are not loving God with their entire being, and they are no longer loving their neighbor as themselves. They have given up the greatest commandment of love. We see that the church in John's day are afraid of what the future holds as persecution has come into their world. We also see that in the church of John's day that they have allowed bad non-biblical teaching to infiltrate the church. And not only have they allowed bad teaching to come and non-biblical teaching to come into the church, they like it and they enjoy it very much. And Jesus talks about that. Jesus also has to say to the church in John's day that they are compromising their faith and they are living lives that look exactly like non-Christians. That their faith in Jesus is making absolutely no difference in their relationships, in their handling of money, in their handling, handling of sexual issues. They look like everybody else through their actions. They have compromised their faith. Jesus also says to the church in John's day that they are spiritually asleep and are having no impact in their city for Jesus. And then Jesus also says to the church in John's day that they are not keeping God's commandments to love one another. So Jesus has some tough words to say to the church in John's day. But if we fast forward to today, 2022, city of Ottawa, province of Ontario, the nation of Canada, the world, don't we still see these same problems at play? Don't we still see these exact same problems playing out in our own personal faith journey? It was for then, but Jesus' words still speak to you and I today as the church, still dealing with these exact same six problems. So today, I want to focus on church number seven. We're going to focus on the church of Laodicea. And that's from the, the, the end part of Revelation chapter three is what we're going to look at. Now, I'm going to warn you right now. <laughs> we're going to talk about two things today. And I am going to push against your traditional view of the church of Laodicea. Because as we study this and as we look at this, we actually, we actually unpack Revelation chapter 3 way more through church tradition than what the text actually says. In fact, church tradition on this point is so powerful. I had to read 10 books to make sure I wasn't wrong. And all 10 books say exactly what I'm going to say to you today, 
And I have never in my life heard a sermon explaining Revelation chapter 3 this way. This is how powerful church tradition can be. It is so powerful. A lot of you are not going to believe me. And you're going to send me an email tomorrow to kevin at greenbelt.church. And my executive assistant, Elise, is going to take that email and send it to somebody else. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't do that. Okay? But this is the power of church tradition. Because we're going to talk about hot and cold Christians, and we're going to talk about knocking on the door. Okay, so let's read here about the church of Laodicea from Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to be reading starting in verse 14. So let's have eyes to see and a heart to hear what the text is actually saying to the church. This is what Jesus says to John. He says, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, right. And again, we saw last week, angel could be the church leaders, the messengers, the church leaders of Laodicea. It could be kind of the spiritual DNA at play in the church of Laodicea. What it can't really be is angel. Kind of that traditional view of an angel with the big wings playing a harp. See, Jesus doesn't have these kind of critical words to say to an angel. And the church goes, hey, we're off the hook. It's not our fault. It's the angel's fault. (laughs) No, no, he's speaking to the church. So it's most likely messengers, leaders, or spiritual DNA more than the traditional view of an angel. So he says, he continues, said, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. For here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down at my father with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So just a couple of things of note here that I want to highlight to help us unpack kind of these traditional viewpoints that we have about hot and cold and knocking on the door. Okay, the first thing I want to unpack and to explore is the idea of Jesus the Amen. Like, this is how Jesus introduces himself, that these are the words of the amen. Now, I want you to think for a moment about the word amen. When do you use that word? At the end of a prayer. Some of you shout it out when I say something in a sermon, and it still throws me off when you do it, but I appreciate when you do, so that's cool. Amen. Thank you. That was my kid. I'll give him 10 bucks later. No, I won't. You have a job now. Um, But we say 
amen as the answer to prayer. It's amen has become how you and I pronounce the dot at the end of a prayer. How many of you know what amen means? A few hands, a few. Okay, you are followers of Jesus saying something every time you pray and you have no clue what you're saying. I'm not, it's not a criticism because guess what? I didn't know either for years. See, the word amen is a Hebrew word that is a way of saying that the words that came before it are completely valid and binding. So when you say amen to something, you have bound something to your life. Now, we believe that we live in a spiritual world with spiritual forces at play, and we have to be incredibly mindful as followers of Jesus what we bind ourselves to. And Jesus says that the only thing that you and I, as the church, should be bound to is Jesus the Amen. The Amen, also in Hebrew, it means that the words before the Amen are completely trustworthy and are a foundation of your entire life. And this is who Jesus is. Jesus says in these words that he is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness. In other words, that he is the only one with this good news to explain the work that God has done in the world. That he is the ruler over all of God's creation. John talks about this in the very first chapter of his gospel, where John writes these words talking about Jesus. And he says, through him being Jesus, the word of God, that all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that had been made. In him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. That is who Jesus is. He is the amen. He is completely and totally trustworthy. And in a culture back then in John's day, just like in our culture today, we live in a hyper spiritual culture where people seem to struggle on identifying who God is. Who's God? Who's really God? Right? And Jesus says these words to people who are struggling and trying to figure out who God is. I've had many people over the 20 plus years I've been following Jesus who have told me, well, I just, I just don't understand God. I just can't figure out what God is like. And Jesus says that I am the visible image of the invisible God. If someone, if you here today are struggling with who God is, Jesus himself says, don't look to anything else but me. I am completely and totally trustworthy. You can build your life on me. He is the amen. He's the amen. He is at the center of the church. He is among the lampstands as the one who is completely and totally worthy. 
to center our lives on, right? So that amen is so crucial because then when we jump down to the bottom part of this passage in chapter three, when we get into verse 20 or, you know, um, where you hear the words, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. In the context that this letter is written, Jesus is speaking to the church of Laodicea. He's speaking to Christians. Okay? How many of you have ever seen this famous painting of Jesus knocking on the door? And there's this beautiful garden, and it's kind of like blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus kind of knocking on this door. And if you look at the door, there's no doorknob on the outside. The doorknob is on the inside. That Jesus is there knocking, and the person on the inside of the door needs to open that door. And what we do again and again and again and again as the church is we take that imagery, that tradition of Jesus knocking on the door and say that's about evangelism. That that is about the non-Christian out there. And Jesus is knocking on the heart of the non-Christian. And if you, as a non-believer of Jesus, you're going to hear this sermon and God's going, to, God's going to touch your heart in this special way and you're going to feel the Holy Spirit. That's God knocking on your heart. You need to just open up the door and let Jesus into your life. Now, we believe that Jesus knocks on people's doors, on their heart. We do believe that Jesus wants to be in your heart and in your life. That is not what this text is talking about. He's speaking to the church that has left Jesus outside. He's talking to you and to me who leave Jesus outside. It's a text about discipleship, not a text about evangelism. And the church tradition in us goes, that's wrong. Grab your study Bible and look it up. It's right there. And even the most simple Bible studies say this. But our tradition takes this about, makes it about them. But Jesus wants to speak to me. He wants to speak to you, follower of Jesus. That Jesus is knocking. The amen is knocking on the door of your heart. That this is a discipleship process. So the church of Laodicea is a church where Jesus is on the outside. And so we have to make sure that that's not what we allow to happen. So that's that first explanation. We have to grasp that this knocking that is going on is a knock on my heart. It's a knock on your heart as a follower of Jesus here today. That what is going on in my life? What is going on in your life that keeps the door closed? That keeps Jesus out there instead of being the center, instead of being the amen of our lives, right? And so in order to kind of, again, grasp this, understand this a little bit better, I want to talk about hot and cold, because this is another thing where church tradition kind of brings us down the wrong path because we're seeing Laodicea as an evangelism text. So we take hot and cold and lukewarm as an evangelism text. 
it's not about evangelism. It's to the church. It's to Christians. And so the hot and the cold is also to Christians. Now, the best way to understand what's going on is you actually have to understand the city of Laodicea. Because it's a real place. You can learn about it. You can study it. And when you study the the city of Laodicea, you actually find out that the language that Jesus is using would make perfect sense to someone who lives in Laodicea. They would totally understand exactly what John is writing about because this is their world. This difference between cold and hot water. See, Laodicea was between two cities. And one city piped in cold water to Laodicea, uh, Laodicea, and the other city piped in hot water from their hot springs. See, Laodicea had no source of water on their own. It had to be piped in from two other cities. One sent them cold water because there was all this cold water that was available there. The other one had all this hot water from hot springs, and it would get piped. It was like these Roman aqueduct systems were built because this city of Laodicea was incredibly influential. It was well known for its banking. It's a banking city, so it was very, very, very rich. It was also known for its medical skills and its medical practices. So it was a city where lots of people went there for physical healing. And it was also a city that was known for its uh, clothing industry. So it was kind of high fashion. You went there to get very nice, comfortable clothing. So it was rich. It was healthy. It was comfortable. And it had no water of its own. (laughs) And so the water gets piped in. And what happens to the cold water as it goes through these pipes, by the time it gets there, it's not cold anymore. It's lukewarm. And the hot water, as that's piped in, by the time it gets there, it's not hot anymore. It's lukewarm. And it's like yucky. You know, because I think when you study kind of, you know, the Roman aqueduct system, you wonder why so many people died. Well, lead pipes, <laughs> you know, they kind of learned the hard way that lead pipes are bad, things like that, right? But uh, the, by the time the water got to where it was supposed to be, it didn't accomplish the purpose of the original water. See, what's the purpose of cold water? It's refreshment. On a hot summer day, and those days are coming back real soon. <laughs> On a hot summer day when you're out in your garden, you're washing your car, you're playing with your kids outside, and you grab a big glass of ice-cold water. It's so refreshing. It brings life. It brings comfort. Hot water. If you go to like a hot spring, right, it brings healing. Like I love sitting in a hot tub set to 107 Call an ambulance because I know that's too hot. I know it is, but I love it. And I sit there and all of my back pain and my joint pain goes away. It brings incredible healing into my life. See, hot water brings healing. Cold water brings refreshment. Lukewarm water isn't good for anything. You can't even wash your dishes with it. See, 
That's what Jesus is talking about here. And the people of Laodicea would get this. And for some reason, I was actually talking about this with our elders during the break, and we're all sitting here going, why do we constantly say that words like, and you may have heard these words before, where Jesus would rather you be an atheist than a lukewarm Christian? See, because we take this as evangelism, we say hot is the person on fire for Jesus, and cold is the atheist, it's the Muslim, it's the Buddhist, it's the Wiccan, it's all those people over there. They're cold, and Jesus would rather you be them than be a lukewarm Christian. I don't know how to say this any clearer. There is no verse in your Bible that says Jesus would prefer you to be an atheist. There is not a single verse in your Bible that Jesus says, I wish you didn't know me. And I wish you were so far from the love of God that you would have to go to eternity of punishment and separation from the love of God. Man, I wish that was you. He doesn't say that. Jesus says that, that, that he is the life that he's the bread of life, that he's the good shepherd, that he is the great I am, that he is the water, he's the source of life, and that he wants nobody to perish. Nobody to perish. He wants all people to be able to come to him. So how can we ever say that, oh, Jesus is better, happy if you're cold? No, it's not about them. It's about me. It's about you. Are you hot or cold. In other words, are you bringing refreshment to the world? Are you bringing healing to the world? Or are you lukewarm? That you have a faith that's enough to get you into heaven, but it's not accomplishing anything in this world. Jesus goes for that Christian. Yeah, I know you. Yeah, you're going to you know, come to heaven, but it's not the way I want you to live. It's yucky. Jesus has so much more for the Christian faith than it just being about going to heaven and living lives where we like false teaching and we look like everybody else and we believe like everybody else and we fight like everybody else and it makes no difference. See, hot and cold is about the life of the church. And the big idea that I want to just spend the rest of our time unpacking is this, is that the role of the church, your role in your life, the role of the church is to bring refreshment and healing in the name of the amen. And you can accomplish this big idea in your life regardless of what you do for a living. (laughs) You can be a pastor, you could work in politics, you could work in a blue-collar job, you could be a stay-at-home parent, you could be a six-year-old in elementary school, you could be a 15-year-old in high school, you could be a 20-year-old in university, you could be in a bed in a hospital dying of cancer and still accomplish God's purpose of bringing refreshment and healing everywhere that you go. That's what Jesus is crying out for. That the church would put away all these other things that keep us busy and make it so that we're actually not having Jesus in the middle. 
that Jesus is on the outside, that we're no longer hot, we're no longer cold, we're not bringing healing, we're not bringing refreshment, we're doing something else. But it's an incredibly powerful convicting when you study it this way. And this is what the text says right there to you, to me. This is the role that Jesus has for each of us. So how is it that we become lukewarm? Why do we not live these faith lives of hot and cold? Why do we become lukewarm? Well, again, there's two things that come again directly from this text that Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, which I believe he says to the Canadian church as well. It's two big words, riches and comfort. How do we become lukewarm? Riches and comfort. And he talks about riches. He says this in Revelation 3, uh, verse 17. He's talking about the church, about Christians who respond to this call, this this accusation of being lukewarm. And Jesus says, you say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. You see, wealth has a way, if we're not careful, to turn from being a blessing of God, a gift of God, where we see ourselves as the stewards of the resources of God, and we make it about us. Well, see, I worked really hard to get my education. I worked really hard to get this job. I worked really hard to earn this paycheck. I worked really hard to buy this house, to buy this car, to buy this TV, to buy all these things, to have all of these riches. I did it all by myself. Can you see the slippery slope of that attitude that it's all about me? I don't need you, God. And sometimes, and we never say these words, but we go, well, God, take care of those poor people over there. All those poor people, you know, who couldn't get an education, who couldn't get a job as good as me, who didn't have the opportunities that I have and all of these things. God, bless them, be with them. I'm, I'm good, God. I don't need you. See, as soon as you and I start saying, God, I don't need you, (laughs) we're in trouble of becoming lukewarm. So that's the first warning that Jesus says here. The other warning is about comfort. Talks about this in uh, verse 18, where Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. See, that's a picture of discipleship, that you're in this process, that you're going through this fire, that God is refining your life. Jesus is saying, do that, right, so that you can become rich. And then you can close yourself, you know, in white clothing, and you can cover your shameful nakedness. And you can put salve in your eyes so that you can see. It's like there's so many things in the world that we pursue in order to bring comfort into our lives. You know, whether it's TV, whether it's Internet, whether it's food, whether it's alcohol, whether it's what we watch on the computer, whether it's how we handle our relationships, our sexuality, our money, all of these things. We do all of these things ultimately to make us more comfortable. And when we are pursuing comfort, more than the amen, it becomes that slippery slope again of focusing on ourselves and we become lukewarm. The role of the church, the role of my life, the role of your life is to bring refreshment and healing in the name of the amen. So how can we do that? How can we make sure that you and I are staying cold or staying hot 
in our faith, that we're not kind of down that slippery slope of becoming lukewarm. Well, the first thing that each and every one of us has to do is we have to make sure that we are truly following the amen. See, it's not enough to just say, I go to church. It's not even enough to just say, I believe in God. Right? A lot of people believe in God. A lot of my non-Christian friends believe in some form of a higher power and of God. But Jesus says, I am the amen. That I am not just some good moral man. I'm not just some good religious teacher. I'm not just this rabbi who lived in this backward country 2,000 years ago, just like living like Mr. Rogers, telling you to love your neighbor and put on your cardigan and your slippers. Like Jesus is so much more than that. He is the creator of all things the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the ruler of all of creation. (laughs) See, when someone comes up to you and says that Jesus never said he's God, just show them this passage. (laughs) He says it again and again and again that he's God. And God loves you so much that he died for you. That we live in this world today where we feel like God's, you know, we use language like, well, God's wrath is on you and God's punishment is on you and all of this. None of that's true. There is no wrath and there is no punishment anymore. Because the entire wrath of God and all the punishment of God against humanity's sin was put on Jesus. There are consequences for our bad choices, consequences for sin, but it is not wrath and punishment. All of God's wrath, all of God's punishment was put on Jesus. Because he loves you and he died for you. And so you can welcome him into your life by just praying real simply, God, forgive me, a sinner. And I give you my life. Become the center of my life. If you pray that way today, come and tell me after the service. I'd love to celebrate with you and rejoice. But we have to make sure that is who we are, that we are truly not just religious, not just church-going people, that we are truly following the amen. The other thing that we have to do, so when we do that, when we know we're following the amen, you and I have got to develop the regular spiritual practice of repenting. (laughs) Repentance isn't just a one-time thing. Like Jesus actually tells them to do this. He tells them to repent. Be earnest and repent. And what is he asking them to repent of? He's asking them to repent of being lukewarm. I know the areas of my life where I am not bringing refreshment or healing. I know very clearly where those are. Just like you know very clearly in your life where you are not bringing refreshment and you are not bringing healing. We have to be open and honest and real before God about that and say, God, forgive me for being lukewarm. God, I know you want me to bring refreshment into that relationship. God, I know you want me to bring healing into my workplace. God, I know you want me to be a refreshing person who builds people up at my school instead of tearing people down. We have to repent of that. And that's a repeat, repeat, repeat thing every day for the rest of our lives until Jesus returns. And then what we need to do as we repent of these things, when we recognize I'm not bringing healing, I'm not bringing refreshment, what do I need to do about this? Then the third part is we actually have to open the door. 
Because Jesus is going to knock. He's going to reveal to each and every one of us where we have these areas in our life where we're not bringing refreshment, where we're not bringing healing. He's going to reveal that to you. And what you and I need to do is take that closed door and to open it. And what is Jesus going to bring when we open it? Sunshine and unicorns and rainbows. No. He says, those I love... I rebuke, and I discipline. Never mind. I'd rather keep that closed. Thank you very much, Jesus. I'm really not interested, Jesus, in you working in that part of my life. I'm totally okay with you being on the outside. Right? But here's why you have to remember that Jesus is the amen. See, because when you actually, when Jesus knocks... And you actually open up a little bit. He doesn't bring wrath. He doesn't bring condemnation. Jesus, in fact, he said to to his followers, he said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. Why not? We'd love as Christians to condemn the world. We're good at condemning people. Jesus says, I don't condemn people. Why? Because in their sin, they're already condemned. I don't need to condemn them. They already know the sin that separates them from God. They don't need me to point that out. So Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn. So he's not condemning you. So if you open up your heart a little bit, you're not receiving wrath and judgment and condemnation. You receive the amen. The one who is valid. The one who is trustworthy. The one who is binding in our lives. As the complete embodiment of God's love and mercy and grace. And so again, that's a discipline thing this is a passage about your walk with jesus as a follower of jesus we follow the amen we repent of being lukewarm we open the door of our hearts to jesus's correction and guidance because the call of the church the call of your life no matter where jesus sends you is to bring healing and refreshment in the name of the amen Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for how you work in and through your church. That God, regardless of our age, regardless of our background, regardless of where you send us in our schools, in our workplace, in our community, as the body of Christ, as the family of God, We all serve and we all live out the same purpose to bring refreshment to this world that is so thirsty, to bring healing to this world that is so sick. And so, Father, continue to build us up as the hands and feet of Jesus. Father, forgive me where I have been lukewarm. Forgive me where I have kept my heart closed. That door, I have kept it closed because I did not want your rebuking or your discipline. Father, forgive me for that. And God, I ask for each of us that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't live in any kind of condemnation. This isn't a message to make us feel guilty or condemn us. This is a message to bring life and life to the full because you are the amen. That you're completely trustworthy that you're completely all-powerful, 
and that I can trust you with this. I can trust my life with this. So, Father God, make Greenbelt Church incredibly hot. Make Greenbelt Church incredibly cold so that we would see you move in our city and around the world because of what the amen has done for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.